find if you have your copy of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4. And we're going to read the full text. Billy read uh, part of that for us a moment ago. We're going to read the full text. And uh, don't forget, the Judd's already mentioned that important thing we do once a year, the election of our servant leaders, the deacons. So um, if, if I go long, then just feel free to fill that out You're during the last part of my sermon and hand it in at the end. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 7. But we have this treasure, and let me pause already, and uh, let's talk about that treasure. If we back up just a verse, the, ha- the second half of verse 6 says the, the knowledge of or God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. If we begin at verse 1, he's been talking about Jesus. And so when he says, then he immediately says, we have this treasure, he's speaking of the Lord Jesus. We have, we have Jesus, this treasure in jars of clay, imperfect clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And here's the heart of the text. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. We wonder what we wonder about things, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted. Sometimes we're pushed to the margins, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down but never are we destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and who are alive are always being given over to the death of Jesus, to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. For so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I was, uh, I was proud of Carrie's new car. It was a Toyota Avaline. It, it was time to trade in her old van and we'd been looking around and we knew what she knew what she wanted and uh, what color she wanted and all that. And so it was not a surprise that she was going to get a, a white Toyota Avaline. But I, it was almost Christmas and I sneaked around and so that getting, getting the car was not a surprise, but the surprise was when she got it. I had it parked in a neighbor's yard on Christmas morning. I was kind of proud of myself for doing that. Carrie loved uh, that Toyota Avaline and it made me proud. And I took it to Dave's Auto Spa one day to get it washed inside and out. And when I pulled away from uh, Dave's Auto Spa, it was, it was shining like a new quarter, and um, I was feeling pretty good about the kind of husband I was when I left Dave's Auto Spa. I was driving down uh, Huguenot Road, headed toward the church I served. This was in Midlothian, just outside Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, it, Huguenot Road is a four-lane road. I was in the left lane, and I, and the, I was headed up uh, on a headed up to an intersection. The light was green for me. I noticed a car was about to enter from the side street. Well, remember, I was in the left lane, and so she was going to turn right on red, which is, of course, legal, and she was going to turn, I assumed, into the lane closest to us, and we would drive parallel down Huguenot Road. But I assumed wrong. She was not paying attention, and she pulled all the way over into the left lane and sideswiped me. Well, I was of course, observing the speed limit officer, I always do. And so I, there was, nobody was hurt. And uh, the policeman came and he filled out 
the report, accident report, just like it had happened. And uh, it was her fault, so I, I wasn't worried about that. Her dad even called me to apologize. And so I went to uh, the Connor Brothers to the body shop, and um, I showed them what had happened. They took pictures and gave me an estimate and said, come in Tuesday. This was like midweek, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. So they said, come in Tuesday morning and leave it, and we'll, we'll fix it. Next Tuesday, it was to be fixed. Friday, Carrie and I drove out uh, to the country, kind of, to this party for her young adult Sunday school class. And um, on the way back, on the way back, this was Friday night before I was supposed to take it in on Tuesday. It already is messed up. The passenger side is already beaten up from that being sideswiped. And on the way home, a deer jumped from the woods right into the passenger side of that car that was already messed up from being sideswiped. I mean, let, left a big impression on us. It, uh, it was a big deer. And I, so when I showed up Tuesday for, at Connor Brothers, the body shop, I said, gentlemen, we have sort of a situation. I said, I, you know, when I brought it in last week, it had been sideswiped on that side. Well, I said, Friday night, a deer jumped out, and so now they're new, they're, they're new dents on the same side. And so they had to figure it out, you know. They looked at the pictures because her, her insurance, the young lady's insurance, or I guess her daddy's insurance, would pay for uh, the damage that she had caused. But the deer, well, you might call that a hit and run. And I, I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to get any dough from the deer. Come on. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate it. Thank you, Billy. Oh, come on. It wasn't that good. So they had to sort things out. We had, we had, I had not even gotten it fixed from being sideswiped before I got broadsided by a deer. Sometimes we're still reeling. We haven't yet adjusted to a, something that bad that's happened when something else bad happens on top of it. In fact, if I'd had a third accident before I went to the body shop, if, let's say if I had run into a telephone pole, so sideswiped by a, young, by a teenage driver and then broadsided by a deer and run into a telephone pole, if I'd had three things happen before I got to the body shop, that story would be a perfect metaphor for the year 2020, would it not? 26 weeks ago, this is our 26th week of a new kind of church. For a few weeks, we were, we were just online and TV, and then we came back. 26 weeks. We shut down, of course, because of COVID-19. I'm feeling bad, still feel guilty about a joke I made in February. It was at the greeting time, and it was flu season, and people had been asking, should we shake hands or should we not? And I said, go ahead and shake hands. If the folks next to you have COVID-19, it's too late for you anyway. I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. At the time, it was just a rumored kind of disease over in China. I didn't know it was going to become a global, deadly pandemic. And, and, and the coronavirus has been hard on us. People are afraid for our, our health, for the health of people around us. And people have lost their jobs and some of them aren't coming back and others are still afraid that they may lose their job. And iso the isolation has been terrible. 
people who've had to stay alone, people who've had to die alone, parents trying to figure out what they're what they were, were going to do with their kids and during day, the day. And COVID-19 has been hard on us. And then video surfaced. We, we were still under isolation when video surfaced of Ahmaud Arbery, an African-American man running through a neighborhood who was killed by two guys. And then, and then George Floyd was killed. Then Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and there was a string of, of the deaths of African-Americans and, and our, our country exploded into this racial, racial tension, uh, protests and demonstrations and anger and fear. We were still reeling from the news of this global pandemic when, when our country erupted into this racial tension. It's like being sideswiped and then being broadsided. And then, and then add to that the national election. We're in a divisive election. And I'm not the first one to say this. Probably the most divided, at least I've, I've ever seen, our country. We're divided over whether you should wear masks, whether you should go, whether church should open, whether schools should open. We're divided over whether you like Fauci or not. We're, we're divided over the post office. We are divided over the U.S. post office. So you add corona, coronavirus and, and racial tension and, and a divisive, divided country politically. And this has been a hard year. Dentists say there is a near epidemic of, get this, cracked teeth. Dentists, uh, different uh, news agencies this, this week, we're talking about it. Dentists are reporting that they're having this spike in people with cracked teeth because of grinding and clenching. Clenching during the day, grinding at night. Cracked teeth because of all the stress. Our, our, mental, our mental health is suffering. July, 53% of the people responded to the poll or, or the survey about mental illness and 53% of us said that our mental illness has been, our, our, our mental health has been negatively impacted by the stresses of 2020. And it's not just people who were struggling when we went into the year. These are, many are strong people with strong constitutions and many of them people of deep faith are really, really struggling because of 2020 and all its stresses and stressors. I think the text that we read today has some really, really good counsel for us. Four words of counsel uh, that I, I want to share. Number one, uh, life is not fair, and crises do not always make sense. Life is not fair. Paul said, we are perplexed. We are, are we not? Life is not fair and crises don't always make sense. Take COVID-19, the coronavirus. It's not fair. It's not like, you know, if you be good, if you help little ladies across the street, you tell, tell the truth, not, then you, you'll be immune. It's not, it doesn't work like that. It, it attacks people indiscriminately. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I, I sure can't make any sense of it. What would, there's no, at least to me, discernible divine plan here. I, 
I, I can't tell if, what God's up to if he's up to anything. You know, sometimes bad things just happen. We live in a fallen, imperfect world, been imperfect ever since Adam and Eve. Sin in the Garden of Eden and evil came rushing into the world, changed everything. So now diseases, including a virus, is, well, they're part of our world. Sometimes bad things just happen. Jesus asked his disciples one day, you remember that it was a current event. You remember the tower, he said, the tower that fell in Siloam? And he asked them, uh, do you remember that? Yes, sir. Well, uh, do you remember those who were killed? Yes, there were people killed. And Jesus asked them, do you think those people on whom the tower fell and who were killed, were they more sinful? Jesus asked them, those who died when the tower fell, were they more sinful than those on whom it did not fall? And so that they could not answer incorrectly, Jesus answered for them. He said, I tell you, no, sometimes towers just fall and viruses spread. Life is not fair and crises do not always make sense. Second, triumph, overcoming adversity, is a response. It's a choice. It is not a reaction. I'm going to talk about the difference between a response and a reaction. Wayne Dehoney uh, told the story of two boys growing up in a home with an alcoholic father. Their father, his life was controlled. Their family was controlled by, by alcohol. He was abusive. He abused their mother. He abused the two boys. A psychologist was trying to, years later, was wanting to study the impact of alcohol on the next generations. Knowing the story of this family, he looked up those two boys. They're grown now, grown men. He found one and his life was a mess. Alcohol was destroying his life too. He had lost his family. He couldn't hold a job. His life was a real mess. And, and the psychologist asked him, knowing, of course, the home he'd grown up in. To what do you attribute uh, your life as it has turned out? The man who was, whose life was a mess said, what else would you expect with a father like mine? The psychologist found the other son. He, his life was, looked like a perfect life. He had a wonderful, beautiful family. He was a successful businessman, involved in his church, a devoted Christian. The psychologist asked him, to what do you attribute your life and the way it's turned out? And he answered, what else would you expect with a father like mine? One father, two sons, different stories. But both of them attributed their lives to the same thing. One reacted he was rather passive. It, his father's alcoholism changed him. The other one responded. He said, I'm not going to be like that. And he chose a different path. Of course, the moral of the story is we have a choice as to how adversity will impact us. We can just react. We can be passive. We can be victims. Or we can choose our response. We can be victors. Now, 
Two quick side trips. One, even the, even the guy whose life seemed picture perfect, he still had his struggles almost inevitably. Adult children of alcoholics struggle uh, with emotional insecurities and fear. It's not universal perhaps, but it is terribly common. So my hunch is this man who, who looked like everything was wonderful still struggled on the inside, but he still had responded to the adversity so that he became a better person. The second thing, my point here is that we get to choose our response to adversity. But let me say this, this is my second little side trip. Those who struggle with mental illness, for them, that choice is much more difficult. When people struggle with a mental illness, even something like depression, then the choice to respond to adversity is a lot more difficult than it is for most of us. And Scott Day is going to talk about that next week. But for most of us, when we experience adversity, we have a choice. Are we just going to react passively and let it shape us? Or are we going to choose to respond? We have a, we have a choice. Number one, life's not fair and crises don't always make sense. Two, triumph uh, is a reaction, a response, not a reaction. Three, you have a God-given resurrection style resilience. You have a God-given resurrection style resilience. You may have read that wonderful classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, about Christian and hopeful. Christian represents all of us. His sidekick is named Hopeful. They're on their journey to the celestial city. At some point, they step off into the river. Well, it's frightening. Christian is sinking and he's flailing about and he's, he's crying out and hopeful, his sidekick, hopeful, calls back. And he says, be of good cheer, my brother. I have found the bottom and it is good. Here's the point. You may be surprised at how deep you can sink and still be sustained by your faith. You may, if you're a devoted follower of Jesus, you may be surprised at how deep you can sink and still be sustained by your faith. Two reasons for that. One is God, God gives us all, gifts us all with resilience, the ability to bounce back. We see it in kids. When they suffer, their family is in crisis and yet they, they, they respond positively. They bounce back. They are resilient and we, we marvel at the resilience of children. Well, that's in you. It is there. It may be way, way down in there but you have, and you have to tap into it. But God gifts everybody with this wonderful gift of resilience. But there's an additional thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you were born again, to quote Jesus, when you were born a second time, born anew into the family of God, you inherited the Easter gene. You know, when a, a little baby's born, he or she inherits the DNA of, of mom and dad. When you're born into the family of God, you inherited the Easter gene. So down inside you is something that knows that you can go from hopelessness to hope, from darkness to light, from death to life. You've got to exercise that. But in your spiritual DNA is Easter. We are Easter people. And we are people of hope. Which brings us to the fourth word of counsel, and that is that followers of Jesus are people of hope. The outbreak was frightening back in March. 
and the national level of anxiety has grown. In March, 32% of Americans said they were scared, having trouble sleeping, and drinking more than before because of the pandemic. In July, same research, 53% are scared, having trouble sleeping, and drinking more than before. We're struggling more now than in March when the pandemic began. Back on March the 22nd, I said the following to you. I said, you can be a person of hope, real hope, mindset correcting, worry canceling, peace creating hope. And I said then, hope is not some Pollyanna idea that everything's going to work out all right. But hope is the deep conviction that because of God's grace, we're going to be okay at the very core of who we are. We're going to be okay. That is hope. Back on March 22nd, I quoted in the middle of the sermon today's text. We are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. Perplexed, confused, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And I said, you might be beat up, fed up, and ready to give up. You may have been shot down, dragged down, cut down, put down, worn down, and weighted down, but you will not be crushed. You will not fall into the depths of despair. You will never be abandoned, and you will not be destroyed. Now that's hope. Confused, hurt, weighed down, in another word, uh, other, other way of saying that is, you will not be consumed. Lamentations 3.22, one of the most important verses, I think, in all of the Old Testament. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Life ain't going to spit us up or chew us up and spit us out. Grace, our hope is grace-based. God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love means we're not going to be crushed or in despair or abandoned or destroyed or consumed. You can be a person of hope. The promise is not that post-COVID life will be the same as pre-COVID life. The hope uh, hope is not a promise that things will turn out like we want them to. Hope is the deep conviction that at the core of who we are, we're going to be okay. And, And this too shall pass. I want to take a a slight turn uh, to close things up. And I want to back up and read verse 7. If you still have your Bibles open. Well, let me, let me do something else first. Let me do something else first. Before I, before I get to that turn, sorry to get you excited. I'm not, going, I'm not concluding yet. <laughs> Some of you just texted your friends. We're going to be early for lunch. Sorry. Sorry about that. Before we, before we leave, before we go to the conclusion, I have a final word of counsel for you. Um, and you might expect more from the pastor of First Baptist Church. But I think, I think this is helpful. It is, it is three words. Hang on, Sloopy. Anybody remember Hang on, Sloopy? 
When I was uh, about nine, I was in a rock and roll band. We, a couple of us had uh, plastic guitars. We didn't know how to play them. Somebody had a set of bongos. I always grabbed the bongos. And we only knew two songs. We never had much of an audience. You know, a, a curious dog would wander up every once in a while. Sometimes a sympathetic mom would show up. We only had two songs. Some of you will remember them. First one was Leaving on a Jet Plane. Remember that? I'm leaving on a jet plane. And then our second one, Dennis O'Dell, do you know who recorded Hang On Sloopy? Oh, come on. He let me down. He all knows all. The McCoys. The McCoys. 1964. You know I'm right. That's, there you go. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. The McCoys, 1964. Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. See, some of y'all are going to be thinking about that the rest of the day. Now, that doesn't sound very profound, but, I, you know, I, I, think it's, um, I think it's a pretty good word for 2020. I remember in our concerts, Deborah Brown would sing. I, I think now she was making up the words. We didn't know any different. All we knew was that chorus. Hang on, Sloopy. Sloopy, hang on. James 1.12 says that we are to bear with patience our trials. Loose translation, hang on, Sloopy. Because we're going to get through this. And, and part of hope is knowing that when this is all over, at the core of who we are, we're going to be okay. And now, what you've been waiting for, the conclusion. <laughs> verse 7. We have this treasure, and remember for six verses he's been talking about Jesus. Verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. <clears throat> Keith Parks, some of you know that name. He was president of what we then called the Foreign Mission Board when I went overseas as a missionary journeyman and then when Carrie and I and our family went to Nigeria as missionaries. We were, we were gathered in Richmond. This was in the spring of 1991 and we were, the room was full. We were at the, the Foreign Mission Board home office and the room was full of, of missionaries uh, headed out all over the world. Helen Jean Parks, Keith Park's wife spoke. And um, she told about, they had been missionaries in Indonesia in their early missionary life. And so she told about a dinner party they went to in Indonesia. She said that at this dinner party, the centerpiece was this dazzling floral arrangement, this spectacular arrangement of flowers. And everybody at the dinner party was ooing and aahing over the flowers. She said the group they'd come with, as they were leaving, uh, someone asked, you know, they were talking about the floral arrangement. Someone asked, did anybody see the pot that those flowers were in? And they all shook their heads. They remembered the flowers. Nobody remembered the pot. And Helen Jean Park said to us, soon to be missionaries, that's the point. You carry this treasure, but you're just the pot. And it ain't about the pot. 
Pots get marred and pots get scarred. Pots get dirty and pots get cracked, which means lots of us are cracked pots. But the point ain't the pot. So let me say a quick word to those who are considering following Jesus. If you've been looking around at the pots, you have certainly been disappointed. The Lord Jesus is perfect. His people are not. And quite frankly, 2020 has been hard on all of us, including those of us who love Jesus. But the point is not the pot. Life at its best and life that never ends and transformation and purpose are in the Lord Jesus. The rest of us are pots trying to be people of hope, trying to find light where there's darkness and hope where there's hopelessness. But in the end, it's about the treasure. And I would invite you to him to, to follow him, to love him, to let you transform him. Let him transform you. And when we finish here, after Esther plays, I'm going to wait down front for those who might want to talk about that or for those who might want to talk about what it means to be a member of our church. Then we'll have our closing prayer. And as others are leaving, I'm going to wait uh, for you.